Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, home brewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. Um, my name is George N2APB, your host tonight, and with me, of course, is my um, co-host, Joe N2CX, and uh, together we're going to be discussing and going through and uh, and getting some interactive dialogue around installment number four of our Elmer 101 series concerning the buildup of the SW30 um, plus, the uh, Small Wonder 30 plus transmate, uh, transceiver. And this time, installment number four is um, consider, uh, concerning the transmit buffer, the preamp, and the driver. So uh, all things considered, this will be kind of an interesting episode, and we're looking forward to uh, to getting into it. But uh, first, we thought we'd get into some uh, some uh, general news and and uh, product new product categories or new product uh, um, new products that are out on the market, and uh, thought that the homebrewers and experimenters would be kind of interested in, in uh, some of the stuff that uh, Joe and I and a couple of us here have been able to find. Now, um, well, even before that, I thought I'd mention that um, I had mentioned to some of you and maybe maybe online, I'm not sure, but uh, just about recovered here from my field day outings. Joe and I had uh, a field day outing a couple of weekends ago, of course, two and a half weeks ago, precisely. And it, uh, like many of us who go out in the field, uh, it, it's kind of a fun activity and adventure, as it were, of going into the, into the bush, into the, into the brush, into the woods, in and amongst the leaves. And yours truly ended up with a whopper case of poison ivy. First time in my life. And, uh, boy, did it hit me with, uh, with a, with a vengeance, I'll tell you. So I had, uh, over the last, uh, Certainly the last week plus, well, about a week and a half, because it takes the time to, to show up, I had uh, poison ivy, or as they say in reverse, ivy poison all over my body. And I mean all over my body. And it was blistering up and, oh, created all sorts of uh, challenges. And the only reason I really mention this, besides being almost done with the good drugs, and that took care of it was that uh, maybe sometime we'll have a redux, a field day redux, uh, tell stories of our uh, field day adventures and what to do, what not to do. Um, in a nutshell, Joe and I went out, uh, we flung some wires, the end of a dipole, both ends of a dipole, over some tall trees. And uh, both of us went back in to retrieve the, the string as it fell down on the backside. And pull it up, you know, pull up the leg of the dipole and tie it off, and, and so on. Um, as it would, as it would uh, turn out to be, I either hit some a really fresh patch of uh, poison ivy leaves, leaves of three, let it be, or something like that. And everybody tells me that now, of course. And uh, uh, Joe wasn't as much affected, but I was, uh, I was really so. Um, just a side note there, my voice isn't even quite back to normal yet, but um, it uh, I'm slowly getting back to a, a normal state. I just thought I'd mention that because something that you, you'd want, that all of us uh, 
uh, QRPers that go out in the field should take uh, take caution to at some point along the way. Joe, you're still not itching now, right? No, I uh, I lucked out. Well, I understand that um, warm-blooded animals uh, are primarily the ones who get affected, and uh, reptiles and such are not. Oh well, that explains it then. Holy mackerel! Who'd have thought? Actually, I, th I thought that noise that you were making a couple of Daytons. We we attended a couple of Daytons together, Joe and I, and shared rooms. In fact, we normally do share a room when we go on these outings. And uh, one time, uh, Joe the reptile was uh, growling so much while he was sleeping, <laughs> snoring. Uh, I had to take refuge in the uh, in the bathtub. But uh, maybe that's the reason, Joe. Cold-blooded, uh, maybe cold-blooded snoring uh, is, is more intense. Or something like that. Um, on the other hand, uh, goats are not affected either. One of the one of the ways that farmers get rid of uh, um, uh, poison ivy around their property is they turn those goats loose, and the, the goats eat it and love it and don't get affected. So not all warm-blooded creatures. Huh. I, th I thought I saw you eating like a big lettuce uh, sandwich during Saturday afternoon. Maybe that was the case. But uh, very cool. All right. What we thought we would do, besides uh, spin a little bit of time and spin our wheels here waiting for others to check in, is we're going to talk about the new products of interest. And uh, there's some really, really cool ones here. And we just wanted to take maybe 10, 15 more minutes tops to talk about them because they are so interesting. The first one is a bench supply. And, of course, um, I hope... Uh, I hope somebody's put the link for the whiteboard. Joe, could you do that while I'm speaking? Um, on the whiteboard, we have the top uh, portion of the whiteboard dedicated to new products of interest. And the first item is a bench supply. I mentioned this, um, oh, about a week ago, I guess, just on the list. And I had come across the uh, across this item here from uh, Larry K3PEG, and he's not in here tonight yet. But uh, Larry gave me a, a uh, catalog of uh, Marlon P. Jones, and it's, uh, I, I hadn't, uh, I tend not to look at some of those for my regular source of materials and parts and components and stuff, but in browsing through that, just about every page had some really, really cool stuff. So if you want to, first of all, just uh, visit a good site for homebrewing parts and things for your bench and, and uh uh, tools and and components. Uh, check out Marlon P. Jones. Good prices, really good prices actually. And as it shows here, this power supply is just a really really nice one. I still have mine on order. It hasn't come yet. Um, and uh, it's going to replace a. Oh, I got a 1.2 uh, 1.2 ampere uh, adjustable power supply on my bench. Joe and I got that. Oh gosh, many hamfests, many Daytons ago. But this one is a really nice, looks to be a really nice one, and it's higher current, 3 amps. And as I say in the uh, the intro there, a real cool part about that is that it's uh, current limited. Most of us here know what a current limited supply is and how you set it just by shorting the uh, the terminals and then adjusting the current to the maximum level that, we sh that you wish to, uh, to, to have flow through your test circuit being powered. Uh, but this is a very handy 
circuit for if you're powering things on the bench. For example, this the soft uh, the SW30. If you limit that uh, the current output to say uh, um, even 75 mils would do it at first. It's maybe 100 mils, and you can set it by just looking at the dial on the front as you're cranking the, the current limit adjust. And um, no matter even if you have a short circuit in your in your um, in your circuit board or whatever you're powering, the current supplied will not exceed what uh, you set it to be. So it's a good safety um, safety factor, safety value. I, I'm just uh, Joe. I think you have one. Um, uh, you've got a current limited supply, do you not? Indeed, I do. Yeah, uh, one of the Dayton purchases. It's two to fifty volts, I think, but it's only about an ampere. But uh, yeah, that's very handy. That uh, current limit has saved my bacon any number of times. There's another use for it. Um, I use it to charge nickel CAD uh, batteries. You set, um, if you want to safely charge NICAD or nickel metal hydride batteries, you uh, set the short, you set the output voltage to something higher than um, the end voltage will be for the uh, for the charge. And then you set the current limit to um, uh, one-tenth the um, ampere-hour capacity of the battery, and the thing will automatically charge up, and that's a safe way to charge um, without frying the batteries. Um, one question I got, George, and you don't probably don't know yet, but uh, considering the size and everything, I'm just curious if that's a linear supplier or switcher. Uh, it be interesting to find out. If it's a switcher, it, it could be uh, kind of noisy there in the shack. Ah, good point. I had assumed it was a linear, and you know what they say about assume, so that'll be something I'll check out for sure. Yeah, we don't want. I don't like to use linear supplies. I use a I use a linear um, supply. It's an Astron. Uh, let's see, what is it? A uh, thirty thirty five ampere um, Astron when I for powering my uh, my other rig, all my rigs here on the bench, um, and uh, that um, I'm a firm believer in that being in, in the value of a linear supply being not noisy. Had all sorts of experience with switching regulator uh, supplies um, a while back. Joe, you might remember. Um, gosh, we were look. I even forgot the circumstance, but we were looking around for sources of noise. Here when we were down in my lab one one Saturday afternoon and could not find the the source and it was a um, it was a switcher AC adapter supply for my uh, computer screen and uh, unplugging it cleared up a whole bunch of uh, gudge on the receiver and, and made some of the noise go away in, in the spectrum analyzer and it was quite amazing how noisy switching regulators can be. I don't remember the particular instance, uh, you know, the uh, um, exactly what brought it to the fore. But, yeah, that that can be a real nuisance. And um, even some of the lighting these days, certainly the compact fluorescence and even some of the LED uh, lights now have um, switching power supplies in them. And they can uh, they can be uh, problematic. Ah, I see Pat W0BBM says it's switching supply. Watch out, George. Crap. Oh, man. Just uh, wouldn't you figure. Oh, well, I'm going to have to take this down. It's not going to be a recommended thing by me anymore. 
Anybody want to buy a uh, zero to three amp variable pow uh, bench power supply? Just let me know. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, well, uh, thanks for mentioning that, Joe. Okay, let's move on to the second item. For those of us who, for those of you who are just joining the program, this is the uh, chat with the designers and the Elmer 101 installment uh, number four. And in a moment, we're going to be speaking about the uh, uh, the bandpass filter, the transmit uh, buffer, and the transmit driver. But before we get into that, we're going through the new products that we found as uh, listed up on the top of the whiteboard that we're looking and going through now. Item number two is a go case. We mentioned this too um, um, about a week and a half ago, I think. Um, again, Larry K3PEG, um, who happens to be the Excellent, excellent kitter of the SW30 kits for those of you who have been building it up. And I've not heard of uh, many, if any at all, that of uh, that were shorted or otherwise uh, had components wrong. You can thank that all to Larry. Larry loaned me his KX3 for field day. See how it kind of comes back around to field day again. And um, uh, Larry he bought this case from, again, Oh, well, no, it's not again. This is from MCM Electronics, and it's a wonderful plastic, uh, well, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, multi-comp uh, case. What's it made of? A high-density high polymer plastic, and it's waterproof and, and got some really cool inserts in it for um, uh, for foam pads. And it, uh, Larry assembled his Go station containing the KX3 and the uh, K uh, KX the PX3, the, the pan adapter for the KX3. Uh, it also contains his uh, NUE, his new PSK uh, digital modem, and a keyboard, and a whole bunch of cables, and a um, an outboard uh, speaker, audio amplified speaker, and all in a nice case that you just pick up and go. And um, again, it's really cool. Not that I will take, uh, not that I will take Larry's case and K3 with me, but I just bought a, uh, a kayak, um, for, uh, for kayaking. <laughs> and I intend on, uh, taking, um, like an extendable fiberglass pole and taking it out in, and affixing it in the, uh, in the kayak and taking a rig out there and doing it. If one were as foolhardy to take <laughs> a nice rig like the KX3 out in such an adventure, um, I would certainly use this case as it is a uh, waterproof and uh, um, it's a terrific case. So if you're interested in it, um, in, in something like that, take, check out the link. I've, I've got this one on order too. And I don't think this one has a switching regulator, so I should be good. Um, yeah, tell us how waterproof it is, George, after the oops. Tell us how waterproof it is after what? After the oops. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's always that. My coordination isn't as great these days, and I have some of those. Oops. Now, here's item number three. Here we get start to get in some new stuff that you all haven't seen before, or at least that we haven't talked about it on the list. But this thing here, item three, is a uh, what's called the Digi... It's called the uh, ATtiny85 Arduino Micro USB Development Board from DigiSpark. Now, DigiSpark was some kind of a, um, a um, what do you call it, Joe, a tech startup? Um, what's the word? A crowdsource thing? 
Yeah, that's it. But there's a specific name for it. Kickstarter. 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 Good. It was a Kickstarter that apparently took off. It was Kickstarter. And um, what they have here is what we pointed out is a, uh, it's a little, it's an AT Tiny 85 um, a controller, limited memory, limited pinouts, um, and it's got a regulator on it. And it has a, uh, that controller has a built-in USB port to it. So um, when they have assembled it on a little board, as you see there, that board can plug right into your USB port on your computer. And it, it can get um, it can get the regulated five volts um, to power the the device, and you can connect up. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's six I/O pins, and then there's also um, serial lines on the right hand side, uh, SD in, SD out, and ground that allow it to uh, connect to an I squared C um, <clears throat> I squared C uh, device. So some of us were thinking that, wow, wouldn't that be cool? Oh, and by the way, forgot to mention the most, in, the most incredible part of this thing is that uh, um, it's available for $1.65 on eBay. Now, I don't know. I don't know if it's from the, if the Kickstart people or if it's some offshore source of the same thing. I wouldn't doubt it. But nonetheless, for $1.65, um, it might be worth uh, just checking it out. And if you like it, you can get more from the Kickstart boys. Um, the um, What we were thinking is that it might be interesting, based on its capabilities, if we were able to whip up a display for the SW30 project. Of course, uh, since we're mentioning it here in this forum, there are many other possibilities you can think of for a small, uh, small controller. And we thought that we could... Uh, we could have this, uh, maybe try out uh, a simple display. Now, something I also very importantly forgot to mention, it's listed there, though, <clears throat> is that it is Arduino, um, what do they call it, Arduino? You can program it as you would an Arduino. So the Arduino development environment, the IDE, you can create sketches and download to this thing because of the, uh, the built-in bootloader. And it's uh, if that's indeed the case, that could be a very, very flexible, easy to modify, easy to whip up um, smaller controller. They've got bigger versions of this too, by the way. And I've ordered uh, this a bunch of the small ones and, and a couple of the bigger ones too, just to give more pin out and memory for development purposes. But I wouldn't be too surprised if something like this didn't show up in a, in a chat with a designer project coming along in the future. Um, I forgot who it was. Maybe Mike, uh, WA8BXN, or Joe had mentioned that, gee whiz, maybe we connect up a uh, an LCD display, but there aren't that many terminals to it. But if you consider displays with I squared C, um, that, that's really um, a really nice thing to, uh, uh, to save you pin count. <clears throat> and uh, even though I squared C displays tend to be on the order of 10 bucks um, LCD displays, I found uh, a really nice uh, four-digit LE, uh, blue LED uh, multiplexed uh, um, I2C controlled display. I probably said that all backwards, but um, it uh, just a small little four, you know, standard four LED kind of thing, and it's uh, you send I2C to it, and it, the onboard controller there decodes it and displays. So. 
that might work really, really nice. And I think that was only like uh, eight bucks from uh, Lady Ada, uh, from Ada Fruit, Ada Fruit Technologies. I'll provide some more information on that later on. But this has a lot of potential. Uh, Dave, um, 87JT, you and I were chatting about this a little bit too, weren't we? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I haven't really got into it and looked at it very deep. All right. Oh, actually, it was Mike. Mike, you're on board here. I don't know if you're able to listen or to speak while you're out camping, but you had a couple of observations about some limitations that could prevent high-frequency display um, or um, or some such, but uh, or maybe it was accuracy. Well, it'd be perfect for a care. Uh, as far as a counter, uh, it's you not crystal control, uh, for one thing, uh, so that would limit the accuracy a little bit, and I don't know which IO pins they're bringing out. There's one that goes directly into a counter that really would help uh, to count the 2.4 megahertz. So uh, I've ordered a couple. should have them Thursday. I'll start taking a look at it. All righty. So anybody... Uh who's joining here. We're going through some of the new products up at the top of the uh, the whiteboard for today before we get into the Elmer 101 uh, Part 4 series. And uh, if you haven't yet considered and you like the Arduino, I love the Arduino. Um, it's just great for some prototype, small small uh, project prototyping and so on. This, was, uh, this is kind of a fun project that could well develop into some inexpensive and useful little accessories for not only the SW30 rig, but some other things here on the bench. Let's go on to item, item number four. This just kind of came to my attention a couple of days ago. And um, the uh, um, it's from SodaBeam. It's a dual bandwidth filter module. I think they call it the laser, laser vector audio module or something. And um, from the SodaBeam people over in the UK, um, again, um, Eagle Eye uh, Larry, K3PEG, pointed this out to me as well, and uh, I immediately got a couple of these on order just to, just to check them out and, and uh, uh, try it out. I, I love um, audio filters, and especially this is a Dispic 33F. Now, uh, Dave's ears probably uh, perked up at... Uh, at that, because we use the uh, the DISPIC 33F controller in the new PSK modem, we use it in the SDR Cube, and most uh, recently, of course, and Dave's right on top of this, we use it in the Midnight SNA project. It's a really flexible, powerful um, microcontroller. Uh, a little bit older, but it still does a heck of a job. Uh, lots of pinouts, lots of uh, easy way to. Uh, it, it's got a great uh, development environment from microchip. But um, that's probably not going to be even needed because this thing comes all programmed, and uh, you can either have um, a CW, uh, you can have a CW version, an SSB version, or a combined version of the filters. The combined version, uh, the individual one, CW filter and the SSB filter, have two different uh, um, settings on them, if you will, two different ranges. Each one, you know, for the CW, narrow and wider. And same for SSB. Uh, the combined one, I think, just has the wider ones of each. Um, so I had to try it out. But it's uh, really similar to the, the KK7P DSPX module from a long time ago. Um, 
well, maybe 10 years ago at most. And uh, Lyle, uh, Lyle Jag, uh, Johnson had uh, created a really nice uh, board about the same form factor, two by two inches, and uh, take the audio in from your rig and then the ability to kind of narrow or widen the filter bandwidth and also to place the filter, move the filter up or down in frequency to really capture that signal. I use, I use that technique on my, uh, I, have an, I have an outboard DSP on my, um, on my big old boat anchor uh, that I use when contacting Joe and he's out in the N, NPOTA, the NPOTA outings. And I know that he listens at 800 hertz on his KX3. So what I do is I make sure that I tune my filter to 800 hertz and I can make it narrower or smaller and, and I can really kind of um, eliminate a lot of the noise, the side noise from the uh, from where his signal is and thus increase my signal to noise ratio and able to hear him very nicely. DSP filters these days especially um, are um, um, can be made to be very narrow without any ringing which is a hard thing to do in uh, with some of the component uh, individual discrete component approaches. But I thought that I'd uh, we'd put this on here. Um, I think it's a dandy board. I will find out soon, and I'll report back on it. But once again, I think this will fit into uh, an accessory case for the SW30. Uh, don't you think it will, Joe? Oh yeah. Well. That and a lot of other things, actually. If it's if it's one of the uh, standardized gauges, you can load a whole bunch of stuff in there. Probably, hmm, including a battery, maybe. Holy cow, a battery. And and uh, Dave, 87JT, is already ahead of the game, and he's got the Mighty Might. Is it the Mighty Might from the four-state QRP group, that audio amplifier, Dave? Oh, it's not an amplifier. It's a filter. It's, it's a 200 hertz uh, filter, and th there's a bunch of tables where you can adjust it. Nominally, the center frequency is 700 hertz, and it, it's for filtering CW signals. And I've got it built, and uh, I haven't tested it yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, golly, uh, <laughs> competing competing things. But um, I think that's only on the order of like $14 at most, right? Uh, I think it was. A, I don't remember. I'm sorry. You have to look it up. You, you go to the the uh, four state QRP thing and then go to their kits list and it'll. You can look it up there. Yeah, that's fine. Um, the uh, I think it is pretty inexpensive, and this thing here is thirty dollars. But uh, I think this one has a lot more flexibility, and I I've been kind of hinted at. People have hinted at me that there's other features coming along down the line. So. Uh, that's going to be a board that's going to grow with my needs, and I'm going to be adding that to a to, couple uh, of my homebrew home rigs and such. Yeah, Dave? Yeah, I, this one looks like it covers single sideband. The, the, the four states QRP group is only strictly for CW. Okay. Yeah, this one uh, this one here from SodaBeam will be doing, uh, does both CW and uh, SSB and uh, different uh, different ranges on the bandwidth settings for that too. All right, let's let's move over to number five, um, and which is the Nucleo STM32 Arduino compatible controller. Um, now the link on there is not right, as, as Joe pointed out to me um, at the start, but I'll fix that. The links on the actual devices down below um, are accurate, 
And um, as, as I said before, I just love the Arduino for quick prototyping. And just as a quick aside, since this is just a kind of a among friends kind of forum here on chat with the designers, um, I kind of got swept up into the uh, Raspberry Pi and the Linux embedded Linux world and all the opportunity with uh, the Raspberry Pi and all the things you could do with it. And I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just getting uh, I'm, I'm too long away from all of the software development and the low level stuff that's necessary to make the Linux work. But creating a, an embedded Linux project with a Raspberry Pi or any other kind of embedded Linux is, is really way too cumbersome for me. And all of the arcane type of uh, gyrations that you need to do every time you power the sucker up with a different uh, component in place, or you got to rebuild your system, you have to app get the latest version of everything else and build up your new environment. And heaven help if, if you power it down improperly and it, it kind of you got to rebuild it again long story short i love the arduino and you can get arduinos in many many different power capability performance capabilities these days so um, this is the latest that i've found um, that happens to be um, um, it looks like it's it pin compatible with at least the nano um, and it's got a shield on the right-hand version of it that's shown there. It has a shield that can take common Arduino shields, um, and you can program in the IDE environment with an extension for the STM board that they provide. So you can program just like it is in Arduino, bottom line. The board on the left is like uh, 10 bucks. The board on the right is 23 bucks, and that's the top end. I mean, there's not too much of a big difference in, in the prices there. But uh, the performance is just astoundingly um, greater than what the standard Arduino uh, is. Typically, when you have an Arduino these days or an Arduino program and you want to get a high performance uh, version of it, you have to go to the, uh, oh, Mike, you're into this. What, what's the version of the, um, the Arduino that uh, has the, the higher performance board, a 64-bit board uh, uh, chip or something? I don't recall right offhand. Okay, probably. Is it a chip? Yeah, go ahead, Craig. Is that a chip kit? No, I'm referring to it's a larger board. It's longer, and it has, um, um, I can't remember the name. The Mega? Well, it's an Atmega chip, yeah. um, but it's a but certain it's a... version. Um, it might even be a, oh, it's a oh, Super it's... Mega or something like that. Okay, never mind. But nonetheless, you can but get you can it. Get... A, they tend to be the larger form factor boards. These things here are smaller and they can fit right into your small designs, like uh, <clears throat> maybe even an accessory case for the SW30. Da, da, da. So, so I know of a couple people who are working on uh, controllers that would be applicable um, to couple up with the LL and in the SW30 and provide a nice programmable type of uh, um, essentially like a VFO and controller and a key a key sequencer, uh, key line sequencer, and maybe even an audio filter built in, and you can probably do that really nicely with a powerful Arduino-like uh, device like this. So I just thought I'd bring bring this to your attention. Again, Again, I've got one of these on order, one each, the lower-ended one and the higher-ended one. I think Dave does too, and we're going to see what we can whip up along the way.
Alrighty. Um, Dave, is, did you have something? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the Arduino thing you're looking for is the Duo. Okay, that might be it. I was referring to, I was referring to something else. Um, probably not as new as the Duo, but I think the Duo is a bigger, it's a bigger um, form factor than these are shown here. Um, and these have the built-in USB um, as well, so this, you're not sacrificing anything there along the way. Okay, let's move down to, and finish off the new product segment here and talk about the PS de Resistance for tonight's show, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to turn this over in a moment to, uh, to Craig, AA0ZZ, and uh, uh, we've been hinting at this for at least a month or more. Um, now that the uh, day, uh, Craig's original SW30 enclosure, the nifty red uh, enclosure that's featured, that's pictured at the top of the page, that we all know and, and most of us uh, have built it up already and have been amazed by how easily and nice it goes together, how nice it looks as well. Um, uh, Craig and I were kind of pondering along the way because we knew that we'd had a, just a limited run, that Craig had a limited run of the uh, of the enclosures with the labels on them and the pre-cut holes for the, the SW30. But we said, hey, wouldn't it be kind of cool if there were a blank enclosure, just a bare old enclosure, no holes, no labels, and you could put anything that you want in it. Even, you know, another SW30 if you happen to come across it or if you missed the first round of the kits, it's easy to put the holes in and you can put your custom labels on it too. But think of the things, I think Joe was alluding to this a minute ago, think of the things you can put in such a blank enclosure and make it custom for your own purposes. Maybe it's with any of the items that we talked about here as accessories for the SW30. You know, It could be the, the Arduinos we're talking about here. It could be the audio amplifier, the audio filter, a keyer, which we have yet to really kind of unveil a little bit more. Um, it could be the battery pack. It could be, um, did I say a speaker and an amplifier, an amplifier for that? Um, it could be all sorts of things that you might want to put into a little radio. And look how nice it goes side by side uh, to the existing enclosure there as, as pictured in uh, item number six here in the new products section. I put it side by side with my SW30. And uh, gosh, uh, there's... There's, uh, in fact, I think before the list, before the program tonight on the list, somebody was talking about, you can stack these guys too, and they do stack really, really nicely. The rubber feet from, uh, say, the uh, the blank enclosure fit right nicely, right on top of the SW30 to create a little uh, brick, if you will. The SW30 at the bottom and the accessory on top, and hey, you can have the connectors or the signals go out the back panel from one into the back panel of the other. You could even have it go down through the base plate of the of the blank accessory box and through the top panel of the SW30 and then attach them together. It's not too hard to uh, to envision how that happens. But Craig, can you give us a little bit more background of this? Yeah. Okay, George. Well, um, yeah, it's an experiment, and uh, after all the good. Uh, uh, reports we've got back from the first one, uh, we decided to go ahead and make the blank enclosure like we talked about. And 
Um, we have prototypes done now. You have one there, and I've got a few more here. Um, and I've ordered a batch, uh, so they should be here. They're being built right now, and I assume they'll be at my house here probably in a, a week, but it'll probably, by the time we get everything together, it'll probably be two weeks. Uh, and there should be able to turn on sales. Um, I'm expecting, well, I will be selling them for the same price, $18 plus uh, shipping, uh, $6 shipping for the U.S., I have to figure out for uh, DX shipping or what the cost would be. But, um, yeah, they're going to be available, and uh, we should have fun with them. Uh, they really look pretty again. Uh, and as I say, they do nestle together, and uh, it should be a fun little box to build some interesting projects in. Oh, you betcha they are, Craig, and thanks a lot for doing this. I just love your your innovative way of uh, – of um, creating these things in a low-cost manner, and it produces just stellar quality results. Um, the uh, And by the way, I, I took your idea, too, just for using colorful solder mask, which is what you did for the circuit boards, a nice red solder mask. You arranged that with your PC fab vendor. I'm doing a similar kind of thing um, now with my, uh, my SDR cube. I've got an accessory box that I'm working up. Um, for signal quality measurements and display. And um, I'm uh, using a board as the front panel. It's going to be black with some uh, white labels and make it look kind of nice and go along with my other stuff. But if any of you board designers out there have, have uh, can pick up on some of the tips here that Craig has shown us, I think you can benefit, uh, your, your projects can benefit too. Use the, uh, use the board itself as a front panel. Put the circuit, the serpent. This is kind of cool. I'm letting a little bit of the cat out of the bag from my own side. But uh, if you put the circuit uh, traces on the back side of the front panel and um, the front side of the front of the of the panel can be the color as we're talking about here, red or in my case black, uh, you can have a single board that is the, both the front panel and the surface mount components um, and carrying the surface mount components for your circuit. Um, and, and there's just really nice things that you can do in that regard to simplify, simplify, and simplify, and reduce cost, and, and so on. So uh, things to keep in mind, and Craig, we're going to keep our eye on your website, looking along the way here, and uh, we'll put mention on the, on the list when, when you do have them available. I uh, want you to know that uh, I have, uh, I'm ready to, to lay down the scoots for five uh, such enclosures, not only for the uh, the SW30 series here on my bench, uh, but uh, some other projects that I have in mind. As it turns out, I have a couple of nice LCD display that will fit into it, and I just think a nice uh, counter is uh, a display counter. A uh, frequency counter is going to do nicely here. Maybe put a, a DDS60 in another one and have a VFO. Um, Heck, maybe even a, a specialized uh, GPSDO, a disciplined oscillator, would be in there too. So I have all sorts of plans in mind. Craig, hope you made enough of them. Yeah, I only made uh, 15 of them. So, George, you're going to take a third of them right there. <laughs> okay. All right. But this is that, that closes up the uh, the new product section. Um, there's, there's enough good stuff that I wanted to spend the time on it and kind of share this all with you guys. Um, Joe, do you have any other comments on the new products that we've mentioned here and maybe, you know, anything else that comes to mind uh, in this category? 
Yeah, I don't actually uh, not too much on this, but uh, one thing I ran across, um, as you know, I'm a uh, magnetic loop uh, enthusiast, <coughs> and Dale Parfit, the before OP of uh, Par Electronics, has come up with a <coughs> pardon me a portable magnetic loop antenna that he is now <coughs> now selling. Um, well, about the same price as the Alex loop. He claims <coughs> it has twice the efficiency. Uh, <coughs> pardon me a sec. Yeah, I wonder how you can have twice the efficiency because I know Alex of Alex loop fame uh, took special care for selecting silver, silver braided and gold plated um, connectors and minimizing the number of junctions that were uh, that making its way around a loop, which of course you need to do that to minimize the RS, the, um, the resistivity of a loop, and thus increase the, uh, or maximize the, the, um, the efficiency. Um, if you have your voice back again, what, what do you think is the, the, the root solution for improved efficiency? Yeah, boy, wouldn't you know I'd get a frog in the throat at just the wrong time. Uh, he did two things. Number one, the loop is uh, slightly larger. It's a little larger in uh, in diameter, um, so you get uh, more radiation resistance out of it. He also used uh, semi-rigid coax instead of the braided coax. And that has um, significantly lower RF loss, um, so that should uh, that should improve things. In addition, he's made um, modifications to it to extend it down to uh, 60 meters, although probably not real efficient, and also up to uh, 6 meters where it's no longer a magnetic loop, but it is a, a small loop. Um, don't know how efficient it is. I, I just got mine today. It just literally came in UPS uh, early this afternoon. So don't know, but um, I expect to use that on some of the uh, my uh, National Parks on the Air outings when uh, there are locations where I can't operate out of my car as I normally do. Um, this thing is portable. It's not uh, not quite as small as an Alex loop, not quite as portable, but um, should be uh, backpackable to uh, go out on the Appalachian Trail or some of the other uh, trails where, where uh, you're out in the wild, so to speak. Um, time will tell. I'll, I'll be doing some checks on the reverse speaker network to uh, compare the two loops to to see uh, if the claims of better efficiency are uh, are uh, held up. Well, that's super news. Um, it that you know that really raises uh, uh, the, the mention of the uh, semi-rigid, or in my case, I'm using Heliax. As you know, I'm I'm making a uh, kind of a, a really hopefully a good um, um, 75 meter. STL, <laughs> kind of an, an a, a uh, um, what's the word? Uh, opposite meaning of, of what this uh, of it is. A small transmitting loop for 75 meters is is about like 12 feet in diameter, uh, but nonetheless needing to keep the efficiency uh, the the radiation resistance low uh, to get the efficiency up. Uh, Joe, you suggested that I use Heliax and. Once again, in a previous uh, Dayton adventure, we I, uh, I bought a whole length of the uh, of the stuff, 
and uh, have recently started doing it. It's going to be a double loop, uh, two loops around, and um, hopefully get some advantages from that too, along with the use of a, very, a vacuum variable capacitor. Stepper motor and uh, a really nifty uh, controller circuit that I got uh, from somebody over in Sweden. But um, um, that's great news about your, your loop there. Please let us know how it, uh, how it works out. So um, before we, again, now, before we leave it and maybe just open it up, does anybody else have any really uh, great finds since we met last uh, time two weeks ago? Any new parts, new uh, sources, new accessories, new products? Uh, certainly love to hear about them here. All right, nothing heard, although I do know that Mike, W-O-A-A-B-X-N, was considering using a, uh, or has actually tried using an Arduino uh, with a, uh, what was it, Mike, a dual-axis accelerometer to determine tilt for your um, for your camper? Yeah, using a three-axis uh, accelerometer. Uh, I've seen them for a long time. I've always wanted to make for my camper a... Uh, level uh, indicator so I can read the uh, degrees of tilt forward to back and right to left. It's important for the uh, refrigeration method they use. It's an ammonia cycle. It's got to be close to level. And finally I stumbled across the fact that uh, you can measure just static angles with these accelerometers because it measures the acceleration due to gravity if it's not moving. And with rather simple calculation uh, uh, you can figure out essentially which way is down and then the angles uh, that uh, you are with respect to ground. And I built uh, that circuit up. Uh, first built it on an Arduino Uno uh, board and it uh, worked fine. Then I tried going to a nano board, which is a little smaller, but supposedly pin compatible. But I uh, could not get that to work properly for some reason. Went back to the uh, Uno and... Uh, I've uh, built up now a completed circuit, a two-line by eight-character display, and it is in my camper, and I'm uh, going to give it a try on my next camping trip. What a great, uh, what a great application of technology. I, I was joking with Mike earlier this week, saying it's like uh, maybe trying to, uh, it, it, using an Arduino in that way is like uh, taking a sledgehammer to the problem. Uh, because you can just take, uh, sorta, you could just take two of the standard bubble levelers, you know, that you get for like 50 cents over at Home Depot or something, put them orthogonally on a flat surface, and you can get some adjustments that way pretty easily and inexpensively. But as Mike just outlined, there's all sorts of benefit um, to uh, to doing what he, he's doing with a three-axis version, as well as being able to do it remotely. Consider if you were able to put a Wi-Fi uh, transmitter there on your Arduino and have a um, um, a cell phone and you can read whatever the Arduino is reading from the from the three-axis accelerometer and you could be walking around your camper and leveling those this, the jack stands uh, um, appropriately all sorts of ways uh, to use technology these days okay let's get into the program I as I said um, at the start, um, we wanted to cover the products, new products, since there are a lot of good ones. And it's just kind of fun to sit back sometimes and listen to some of the applications that we all have and 
are some of the new products that have come in, that are coming around. This night's show is about the transmit uh, um, the, the transmit path. Uh, we're taking it from the mixer this time up to the driver. And if you look at the schematics that are shown, the schematic fragments that are shown on the website on our whiteboard, you'll see that uh, we're talking about the bandpass filter, the T1 and T2. We're talking about a buffer, an emitter follower buffer with Q4. And then also the driver stage, Q5. Now, Joe, I'm going to turn this, if you've got your voice, I'm going to turn this over a little bit to you, and I'll, I'll sit back and I'll, uh, I'll do the other, uh, the other half of, the, of the, uh, the commentary. But you might want to and, and work it through here. I think it's a relatively straightforward uh, three-step um, three sequence that we'll talk about. And it goes pretty quickly, which is why I didn't feel too badly spending some time about new products today. The, uh, um, <clears throat> the bandpass filter is just to take the output of the, of the, uh, the mixer, which has whole bunches of, of signals in it, as you know from the mixing process. And we saw that and Mike's spectrum display last time, and to pick out uh, one frequency and one frequency only, well, sorta, uh, to pass on to a buffer stage, which is the second circuit, and the second circuit, Q4. Um, Joe, you can definitely talk about the need for buffering, why have a, a, one, uh, a, a, a gain of one, actually a little bit less than one, uh, and then pass that on to the driver. And we'll also mention the transformer when we get to the driver stage. But Joe, you want to take us through these three simple steps? Absolutely. Yeah, if you remember, um, some of the folks who build up the uh, previous stage, which was the transmit mixer, <clears throat> ended up with uh, some rather, um, rather low levels coming out. Uh, because the uh, testicle vent was kind of loading the uh, the bandpass filters, and also uh, Mike's um, spectrum analyzer pictures of just the transmit mixer output had um, had a lot of uh, harmonics and spurious uh, spurious products in there. Um, that was due to the fact that um, uh, the testicle vent was loading down those tuned circuits. The uh, T2 and T3, the two uh, IF cans that are resonated on uh, uh, the 10 meter, uh, I'm sorry, the 30 meter output. Um, so what happens here is Q4, the emitter follower, um, provides a high impedance load to those two tuned circuits so that they can uh, tune very uh, efficiently and to uh, peak up on the desired signal at approximately 10.1 megahertz and to eliminate the uh, the harmonics and the other spurious signals. Um, the uh, emitter follower has a high impedance so that it doesn't load down those tuned circuits. And then uh, consequently, it also has a low impedance output to drive succeeding stages so that um, you, you get isolation from the, uh, from the tuned circuits. Um, the output of the emitter follower Q4 goes through R24, a potentiometer, um, into the driver transistor Q5. Q5 is set up as a linear amplifier. It's a biased linear class A amplifier with some um, negative feedback 
so that it has a fairly high gain, uh, controlled gain, and it's pretty darn linear. But um, setting it up as a Class A amplifier gives it uh, a fair amount of gain and very linear gain, so that you don't you don't produce any uh, extra harmonics there. Um, R24 potentiometer is used to set the level going into the driver, which uh, will then um, control or allow you to set the uh, output um, of the uh, power amplifier once uh, once we get to that point. That's a level set. If you um, if you have too much drive to the uh, final transistor, which will be the uh, the next stage that uh, we'll put in there, um, it can it can cause harmonics. It can um, it actually uh, if you overdrive it too much. I've seen in some of uh, Dave Benson's other rigs, it can uh, force the output stage into uh, oscillation and uh, produce its own uh, spurious products. So having the um, the two stages here with high impedance input and some linear gain um, gives you isolation for the output uh, amplifier. And uh, having a potentiometer in there lets you um, accurately set, conveniently set the uh, the drive level to the final amp final amplifier, which um, will then uh, that'll be the proof of the pudding when we uh, when we finally do the amplifier in the next stage to get a nice uh, nice clean output at uh, 30 meters and none of the um, grunge that could be associated if uh, if we didn't have proper filtering. And that's about it. All right. The um, oh, but before I forget, um, uh, as I've noted uh, on the whiteboard up at the top, um, this time we pulled from. Well, let me start it a different way. Back last year, we uh, actually kicked off the uh, Elmer 101 series prematurely. Uh, premature kickoff, I guess, is maybe a symptom of that disease. And um, what we did is uh, introduce the whole concept before we were quite ready to, to get into it as much as we ultimately did a couple of months back. But um, nonetheless, we back then we had a whole bunch of really, really good collection of the Elmer 101 um, tutorial lessons that were contributed by, oh, it had to be like at least five different people at five different points in time for five different purposes, everything from QRPP by NorCal, um, the, the magazine called QRPP, to Chuck Adams. Uh, he had a version. Um, I forgot there was a, a K0 something or other. Uh, they're all listed there on the on that previous episode. In fact, I'm going to, this is so important that I'm going to be pulling that information in as an ongoing bibliography of references for the um, this um, Elmer 101 series that we are running because of time limitations and because I'm long-winded and Joe's long-winded and and uh, um, the we don't have time to go into the other half of the Elmer 101 intention which was to talk about the circuit details and, and the basics of electronics that that are, are so interesting and because it really uh, is the fundamental basis of each one of these circuits that we are studying here and, and kind of breaking down, analyzing, uh, but we don't have time to go into it. I mean, for example, look at the uh, look at the 
the, I'm looking at the first circuit there, the bandpass filter, <clears throat> and uh, the circle, the dashed line around T2 and T3, actually has three tuned circuits. Three tuned circuits in order to get that the signals, all the signals coming out of the, uh, the U5 mixer, as, as Joe was talking about. Um, it had, in addition to the 10.1 megahertz signal, it has a whole bunch of other stuff, mixing products. And the purpose of these, the bandpass filter, is to take out as much of the other stuff other than the primary 10 point megahertz, 10.1 megahertz signal and get it over for amplification and ultimately transmission. But uh, in order to do that, resonance of L's and C's, inductors and capacitors, come into play in the form of um, these two transformers and both the primary and the secondaries of each, thus giving us three different resonances that are used to filter out the unwanted um, uh, signal components and only let the, in this case, 10.1 megahertz signal get through is uh, of absolute essence. It's essential for the circuit's operation. And um, not everybody necessarily knows off the top of their head because we don't use it all the time. The frequencies, uh, the, the equations for resonance of LC resonance. Um, and, um, you know, what the units are and, and how, what the characteristic impedance is at resonance of a parallel circuit or the characteristic impedance of a series resonance circuit. This is the kind of information that is available in these different Elmer 101 um, courses that I've been alluding to. And I would urge you, I would urge you, because it's just a delightful, travel through electronics and it's not hard it's just something that we don't always get a chance to be uh, considering ourselves with especially if you're not doing designs on a regular daily basis it's really nice to help you understand how the circuits work why they work and how we can extol the different characteristics of a circuit for example joe was talking about the buffer amplifier an emitter follower amplifier um basic a basic uh, emitter follower uh, sample with sample waveforms as shown in some of these resources, and you can actually then see how the circuit, how the signal going through this Q4 is actually doing the job. Now, all of this is a lead up into this time we used, we borrowed from the works of Dave Eck, NK0E, in um, his uh, Elmer 101 series that he called the X Files. This is noted right there at the top of the technical discussion, and I have a link there to his work that is publicly available. And um, we thank him for um, allowing to us to use portions of his material here with the community at large and re-expose uh, people with this material. That Gosh, it's almost 20 years ago that this was published. Well, his was in 2000, so it's maybe 15 years, 16 years ago. Um, but look it over. Please, by all means, look at these different installments. They're PowerPoint slides, they're PDF files. Some are just HTML pages that are still available online. Very, very cool stuff. And by the way, the circuits uh, that Dave was um, um, analyzing and presenting here was based on a 40-meter 40 meter, uh, 40 um, version. So his commentary, actually, the commentary is neutral, but he shows a 4 megahertz crystal for Y5. Of course, our crystal is uh, 7.68 megahertz, I think. 
But anyways, um, seeing how the, uh, the circuits are tuned, you tune up T T3 first, and then you tune T2 to a max using uh, using your scope probe. And then you ultimately, when you populate Q4 buffer, you would be measure, measuring its output again, and you will note that the um, the peaks, you have to re-peak T2 and T3. You have to tune them again for maximum readings because your scope probe had affected the um, the signals being measured, kind of like uh, um, Joe. What's the what's the Heisenberg principle? You can't usually you cannot measure something without totally uh, in without affecting it in some manner. Yes, Heisenberg uncertainty principle, indeed. Yeah, and in this case here, your your scope probe will affect the capacitance on the probe and the impedance will affect the uh, the measurements taken directly off the bandpass filter. So once you get the Q4 buffer stage in place, you'll find that you have to repeak, and um, and then setting R24 along the way at different the different points. I think uh, to get a good sine wave, you'll come back and revisit R24 settings uh, at several points along the way. By the time we uh, by the time we add the, uh, the driver transistor um, in a couple of episodes from now. Mike, any observations that you want to make on these these uh, portions of the circuit here? And much of this, not these, not what's shown on the whiteboard here, but certainly the manual portion is what uh, what you were so heavily contributing uh, with uh, before. Well, one of the things I'd like to emphasize again, the use of IF transformers here. Uh, it is really a neat thing, but we're not in an IF uh, situation. Just happened to be that they're convenient packaging of some tuned circuits that uh, work very well here for other bands. Then these work at the transmit frequency. Uh, Dave puts in the C30 and C32 external capacitors to tune them to different frequencies, and uh, that's a kind of clever thing to do. Uh, I see Pat has a little bit of a question about uh, the untuned buffer and driver. Uh, note that both of those circuits are untuned. T4 is there to uh, be an impedance uh, uh, transformation. Uh, I think you've got multiple turns on the primary and fewer turns on the uh, secondary, so that uh, a step-down transformer to uh, then drive the final amplifier. Uh, you get uh, less loss in the circuit uh, rather than just putting a resistor and trying to capacitively couple the output. Uh, so uh, I think that's the general idea there. Yeah, great comments. Um, thanks for asking the question too, Pat. Appreciate that. Um, the uh, mentioned in T4, if you slide down a little bit to the assembly and test uh, section, you'll see the uh, t a picture of a diagram of the T4 windings. I forgot how many windings are on the primary, maybe eight. Um, don't quote me on that right now, but I think it's eight. The interesting part about this is that the secondary has one winding. And the way that Dave, this is from his original manual, the way that he describes uh, is, of course, to wind the eight-turn primary of T4 and then install the transformer install that toroid uh, onto the circuit board, and then take some hookup wire, uh, just straight old, you know, like number 24, number 26 hookup wire, and put one turn, what's represented there is one turn through the transformer, 
and uh, uh, through the toroid core, thus forming a transformer with the secondary, S1 and S2, and then uh, to tie that down. To the uninitiated, that might be kind of a strange and unusual way to be constructing a transformer, but nonetheless, it is an 8 to 1 transformer, which provides uh, Joe, what, a 64 to 1 impedance transformation? Is that right? Exactly. Okay, so whatever the, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm not, I don't even have the schematic up, but I'm guessing that the output of that um, of that uh, buffer stage is uh, is 50 ohms. Um, I'm sorry, what, what, what it's driving is a 50 ohm input to the, what's not shown in there. So if we have 50 ohms, 50 ohms times 64, the turns ratio, the square of the turns ratio, um, would yield the effective impedance looking back into the driver stage. And um, that, um, again, as Mike was saying, that's, a, that's an effective way to, an efficient way to get the signal transferred from the driver stage to a lower impedance uh, um, um, driver transistor. And yeah, we talked about, oh yeah, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, what that does, it's actually uh, the base impedance uh, is, is less than 50 ohms, but it's somewhere in the tens of ohms. It allows the, um, uh, the buffer amplifier, the uh, amplifier, the linear amplifier there uh, to operate at a higher impedance level where it can uh, achieve more gain than it would if we're just driving directly the uh, 10 ohm um, or the tens of ohms impedance of the uh, input of the output amplifier. It allows it to operate at a higher impedance so that you can get uh, more gain out of one stage um, using the uh, transformer action as uh, George described. Clever way of doing it. And uh, uh, as, uh, as you see many things in Dave's design, he has some very simple but powerful tricks he uses to, uh, to squeeze the most he can from all the components. Yeah, indeed. And that's the sign of a great designer. So Pat asks, so what is the output impedance of driver Q5? Joe, do you want to take that? I'm guessing it's somewhere. Um, if you, if I assume that uh, the input impedance of the um, output amplifier is 10 ohms, it will be something like 640 ohms. It's a nonlinear load, so it's it's not exact, but it's somewhere in the hundreds of ohms of uh, the collector impedance of the uh, of the driver amplifier. Yep, that would have been my guess too. Um, a great treatise, not just a treatise, but a, a great reference. And again, we've mentioned this before in chat with the designers. You, you veteran listeners would really uh, know the term EMRFD, uh, the book called EMRFD, Electro, oh, shucks. Um, uh, Joe, what's EMRFD? Experimental Methods. Experimental Methods for RF Design. Yeah, given the amount of time, I would have gotten it out. <laughs> so the uh, Experimental Methods book, um, which uh, Wes Hayward, W7ZOI, is one of the prime authors, um, if not the only, I'm not sure, but it is a phenomenal book. If you like the um, the references that, that I mentioned a minute ago in the different course materials that are available for the e, uh, for the Elmer 101 series, you will just love EMRFD. 
book, and it's available. It's in its second, maybe even more, uh, at least the second uh, edition. You can get it uh, uh, readily. And um, what it does is takes different circuit components, amplifiers and, and filters and uh, bandpass types of components and puts them together and, and not only analyzes them, but also has example circuits that illustrate the principles that are, are, are presented in the book. It is a phenomenal book. Um, even a circuit as simple as this um, has so many, as Joe is suggesting, so many different nuances to it, uh, the reasoning and so, you know, why 1501 ohms um, in the emitter of that uh, uh, Q5 driver. Why have a 10 ohm resistor also in series? And, and what the heck is that C114 capacitor? It looks like a bypass capacitor for some reason. In some way, it may it might affect the AC gain um, uh, versus uh, the DC gain. So these are these questions and more are all answered in EMRFD. They're touched on in some of the Elmer 101 materials that we've talked about, but definitely get your hands on that thing. So um, just uh, before we let this one go, there's a really interesting, uh, something that still boggles my mind. Joe, maybe you want to comment on this. Is uh, It's not shown here. We've talked about the keying circuit before, but you see the bus, the positive bus at the top of the each of these different schematics. The one that's uh, C110 is hanging off of, uh, and that bus feeds the power to the TX mixer and the buffer and the driver stage. It boggles my mind how one can key quickly. Yeah, maybe 60 words a minute. That that line is going up and down at 60 words per minute, and that's actually what is keying um, uh, the RF circuit that's getting squirted up into the antenna. But it boggles my mind how the circuits can react so quickly and ultimately, you know, snapping on and off and all of those things happening at once. All of those things, the, the, uh, the resonance and the, and the impedance matching and the, and the signals kind of zooping through the circuit. Every time you key the circuit, every time you key your, your paddle or your, uh, the keyer, um, it, uh, it, it's not intuitive to the uninitiated. And uh, it's kind of an interesting observation, at least to me. Joe, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Well, if you notice uh, C110 there, the 3.3 microfarad, we touched on it uh, earlier. Um, that gives a little bit of shaping to the CW uh, waveform, the rise and fall times of the CW uh, signal, so that it minimizes clicks. Um, and the um, it, it's chosen to do that. But indeed, uh, the power is switched on and off at, uh, at the keying speed to, um, to form the Morse code characters. And uh, the components are very carefully chosen there so that um, they react quickly enough, but not too quickly, to, um, to give a pretty well-shaped uh, shaped waveform. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of trickery and I suspect some um, trial and error in picking the... Uh, correct uh, component values to uh, to get the optimum uh, results so that you get uh, clean CW waveforms out of the whole thing. Yep. And the kind of the interesting part about this, if you just kind of extend it one step beyond our home brewing and our amateur design activities that, uh, that most of us, uh, the world that we live in, um, 
commercial designs, commercial designers, are probably not too much different from us in this regard. Um, sure, they use more often than me, for sure, um, P-Spice and different modeling techniques in order to select optimum components and waveform uh, wave, wave placement and conditioning and, and all sorts of things before they actually even get to the prototyping stage. But at the end of the day, and Joe, you can speak to this, and from the RF world for so long, even, uh, even RF veteran RF designers would take something from the paper to actual design, and there's a significant amount of, of tweaking. And in the old days, we used to call it uh, adding gimmicks, uh, gimmick capacitors to some of the tube designs in order to get them to stabilize or to act as we think they will or to be neutralized from a residual capacitance in different areas of the circuits. And different tweaking had to go on, even at the, at the breadboard stage for commercial designs, right? Can't find a push to talk switch. I'm trying to type. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you get a general general feel for it after a while. Uh, but uh, indeed, um, it does take some um, some tweaking, some uh, little uh, adjustments here and there to optimize things. These days, you can do a lot of it with things with uh, simulation tools like PSpice. But uh, particularly the RF circuits. Um, there is no substitute for building breadboards and uh, tweaking the breadboards to get the uh, optimum performance. Uh, computer modeling is okay. It's pretty good. It can get you in the ballpark, but um, good experienced uh, hand can uh, tweak things and get absolute best performance uh, on the bench. Oh, yeah. The... Um... Is anybody else online here that uh, has anybody else been in the RF design world and would care to comment on the uh, the differences that are seen sometimes between a paper design or even a CAD design and actually taking something to uh, uh, the RF breadboard? And, of course, things get really funky when you start getting into VHF and upwards. But anybody else have experience along this line, too? Oh, well, um, I know if JJ were here, um, KC2VGI, um, JJ would have some comments along this line here. And he's a professor, um, part-time, probably more full-time than part-time, uh, professor over at the New Jersey College of Technology. Is that what it's called, Joe? The College of New Jersey. And uh, he uh, he teaches all sorts of courses um, along this line. and. Um, this is a fascinating area to me. I grew up in digital electronics and uh, kind of adopted RF electronics along my, my uh, 30 or 40 years of, uh, of ham, uh, of amateur radio. But uh, there's always something new to learn. Okay, that kind of wraps up the, uh, the intended topics for tonight, the new products, and then these uh, three different stages, the bandpass filter, the buffer, and the driver for the SW30. Um, next week, and we're just kind of following the cookbook here, next week we're going to start the receive side, the receive mixer, and that's going to be kind of fun. Um, we might try to accelerate things along here, um, but we're certainly going to stay on a every other week basis 
Um, I think I'm, I personally, and I think Joe too, is, is hitting a, uh, a rhythm. And I kind of enjoy having chat with designers every other week. I hope you all do too. Um, and maybe just open it up for general comments before we close. Is there anybody who has a question about uh, the current design or the current uh, build of your kit that you have or any of the principles involved along the way here or anything that you'd like to ask the, uh, the group at large? Uh, go ahead now. All right. So, Joe, um, nothing else heard. Um, why don't you take us home? Okay, yeah, I'm trying to read the comments here. Pat has some questions about uh, the output impedance of Q5. Um, the output impedance of Q5 is really a function of the biasing. Uh, as as um, and the exact formula is escaping at the moment, but uh, um, it's, it's a function of the biasing as a, an AC amplifier having to do with the level of collector current and, um, and voltage which uh, set the uh, set the uh, the load line um it set more as a matter of uh, getting the proper gain rather than the absolute impedance level there's a byplay by back and forth when designing this between setting the uh, the bias levels and the uh, impedance transformation at the output stage to get the exact impedance level um and as i as i indicated in the uh, in the chat window, you can actually uh, simulate it fairly well with PSPICE if you want to know what the real levels are. But it's um, it's a matter of uh, gauging what kind of gain you're going to need there, and then tweaking with the bias and the uh, the impedance transformation ratio of the output transformer to set the uh, the operating impedance level. Uh, there's no hard and fast number for it. It's getting a little hard to, to hear you, Joe. Get it just right. Uh, come again. George? Yeah, getting a little hard to hear you. I don't know if you're drifting away from your microphone. I was probably hitting the mic a little hard. Sorry about that. Uh, as I was saying, it's it's a matter of feel uh, tweaking back and forth between the uh, bias levels of the output transistor and the or the buffer uh, transistor and the uh, transformation ratio of uh, T4 to get the uh, desired amount of drive into the output uh, stage. Um, you start off with a guess and um, tweak to uh, to get the, the results you want. At any rate, um, tonight we have talked about a number of uh, new products that uh, are of interest to us and hopefully to uh, the gang at large here, which, uh, which has some relevance to hams and home brewers, uh, both in the digital world, um, digital and software world, the Arduino stuff. Some uh, some very exciting new products which are getting very uh, very inexpensive, and uh, as George pointed out, easy to program in the Arduino um, IDE uh, integrated development environment. Um, getting away from uh, some of the difficulties with uh, some of the other uh, some of the other um, uh, development systems the uh, Raspberry Pi comes to mind may have. Um, and these products, while they're not exactly Arduinos, are designed to work with within the uh, Arduino uh, pro programming environment, so they're very good. And um, stepping a little aside, George also mentioned a, uh, a very good case, very handy case. People have heard of the Pelican cases. They're very expensive. 
but some of the other aftermarket cases like uh, MCM has um, are very good rugged cases, um, water resistant if not waterproof and internally padded to uh, protect your electronics. Very good thing to have. And then finally, uh, we went through a discussion of the um, functions of the, um, the driver stage, buffer and driver stage in the uh, SW30. Try to get a little feel for um, what's happening in those stages, the, uh, the importance of the uh, various components in there and those stages, why they're important, and uh, some of the things you can do to tweak to, uh, to optimize things to be sure that uh, as you're going along building this, everything is working well. Um, it'll wrap up with the, um, the final output uh, next time, and we'll have a working transmitter. So um, very good, folks. Thank you for the questions in the uh, chat window, as well as uh, verbally. Uh, we're always glad to answer those questions. It shows you're paying attention. And there's nothing, uh, nothing we like more than somebody who's paying attention saying, Kind of gives us uh, justification for uh, shooting our mouths off. Thank you all very much. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Joe. And, um, um, oh, shucks, I forgot there was going to be something else I was going to say. So um, we did have one question. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. We did have one question come in uh, concerning the GPSDO project, the GPS Disciplined Oscillator Project which was kind of stalled um, as we got the Elmer 101 series and the, and the SW30 kit going. So um, the motherboard is uh, complete, which is going to be the, uh, uh, the last stage of the product, and I'm waiting for the production boards to come in. And um, we should be able to get this uh, wrapped up probably, if not the next time, certainly the next next time that we meet here on the, on the show. In fact, even before then, I'll make it available on the list, um, the kit of parts necessary to um, complete the project. It will take, it'll be the motherboard. And that, by the way, it'll fit inside, fits directly snugly inside that, uh, that uh, alu silver aluminum case that we offered and still offer on the GPSDO site, project site. And um, that motherboard takes the, um, the oven control circuit which was one kit. It takes the VCXO, the Chat with the Designers VCXO project um, that we started everything off with and it stacks those two together. It takes the signals there and it also takes and accepts the, um, the Neo 7M or the 8M um, GPS receiver board, you know, like uh, about an inch by about an inch square maybe. Um, and it takes that all, and, and, and we add to it, of course, the uh, temperature control and display, actually the temperature display circuits, then a little bit of a power supply to round it all off, and voila, you've got yourself the GPSDO project is complete. The schematic for it has been updated. It is in the, uh, um, if you go to the home page, chat with the designer home page, you would see the GPSDO project listed there. Um, um, along with some others that we've had along the way. And the schematic there, well, that, that project page is the consolidation of everything. So uh, the schematic shown there is what we're doing. And it's been simplified a little bit to make it uh, easier to build and, and use and, and everything like that. So 
Pat, hope that answers your question, and we'll have more information on that soon. But I'm looking to get that one cleaned up too because I want to be using it. I want to be using it myself. And uh, it's looking really good here on the bench. Mike's had some good results with it. Joe's had some good results with it. I have. And I'm just looking to make a good uh, uh, kind of packaged version of the of our experimentation along the way. Okay, um, that's it. I'm going to make a exit stage left and go catch the rest of the baseball game, the All-Star game. Hopefully it's not over. And uh, we'll say 73 to everybody. Thank you very much for attending tonight. As Joe said, we really enjoy doing this. And I personally enjoy doing it on an every other week basis. I hope you do too. Spread the word. And uh, the more people that participate and more people that actually ask questions, whether it's on the, in the chat uh, portion or actually speaking up loud, makes it that much more interesting for us all. But we'll see you next time on Chat with the Designers. Good night, all.